Amen. Glory to God forevermore. Hallelujah. Well, let's get started. So let's pray. Thank you. Father, we just thank you that we can gather tonight in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your word that it's living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder that which is soul from that which is spirit. We want to receive from you tonight, and so we yield to the Holy Ghost, the great teacher, that he might speak to each of our hearts. Lord, we just want you to receive all the praise, all the honor, and the glory, and we thank you for your goodness in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Made me think of it when I prayed about the Holy Ghost. I uh, um, met with a individual that was in county jail today, and and uh, the second time I'd met with him, he's interested in spiritual things and so forth, but he really doesn't have a lot of knowledge of the Word. So he'll, he'll make a list of questions of things that he wants to ask me and so forth. And so he has lists with him today. And, and so the final question that he had was he needed me to explain a scripture to him from uh, um, Mark. And he's reading, you got to understand he's reading the King James Version. So I'm getting a new living up to him tomorrow or sometimes this week. <laughs> Um, but anyway, he's reading, and, and uh, it says, and uh, I forget exactly how it's phrased, but when Jesus um, was about to die on the cross, and it says, and he gave up the ghost, and he says, so what does that mean? Because <laughs> I'm thinking, Jesus became a ghost. It has floated around here someplace. And I says, well, that's King James. That's the spirit. He gave up his spirit. He died. And so he was able to accept that. But I just thought that was, we're talking about Bible interpretation, you know, studying in context and having an understanding and so forth. <clears throat> you can come up with some really screwy doctrine if you, you don't have a little bit of understanding where it's coming from. So we you know, may think all of our loved ones gave up the ghost and they're all floating around us right now. So, ain't so. So anyway, but we've been, we've been talking about the balance between grace and faith. And uh, so we're going to continue that this evening because it's such a, a need that we understand that. And uh, I've got an example in your notes. It's and starting in Roman numeral one there, it says, finding the right balance of faith and grace can be compared to finding the correct balance between sodium and chloride. Separately, these two chemicals are poisonous, but, to the, but together they make salt necessary. It's a necessary component for life. You know, and so that's how it is. If you have somebody, if, if all they ever... Um, look at is faith, it's going to happen. They're going to become legalistic. If all that anybody ever looks at is grace, they're going to become lascivious. You know, and so both of those will eventually lead to death and destruction. And so what do we need? We need a combination of the two because when we bring those two components together, that's when we experience life and life more abundantly. 
because, you know, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, as we've known before that, you know, grace is God's part. Grace is always making reference to what God has done for us. For by grace, for God's grace, we are saved, unmerited favor. We've done nothing to deserve it. We've done nothing to earn it. We've done nothing to uh, work it out. It's all on God's part. That's grace. And then faith is our part. And <clears throat> faith is recognizing and acknowledging what Jesus has already done for us. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. And so the grace is that Jesus died on that cross. He poured out his blood for you and I that we might, that salvation might be available to us. Faith takes a hold of that and recognizes what Jesus did. And we, we, can't, we can't make ourselves saved, but we can receive what Jesus has done for us. And so that's, that's our part. You know, and so tonight, to begin with, what we're going to be looking at is, uh, you know, the Bible says the one thing that we labor at is we labor to enter into the rest. And, you know, really, that's one of the ways that we can know whether or not we're operating in faith or whether we're just um, going through the motions. If we're operating in faith, there's, there's going to be a rest. Now, now, understand what I'm saying. That doesn't mean that we don't have concern or um, we don't have a sense that uh, there's, there's something that we need to do or whatever it may be. But there's a rest. There's a confidence. There's, there's an assurance. You know, we can, we can be in the midst of a great crisis and still be at rest in the midst of it. There may be things that we need to do, but in the midst of that, we can still be at rest. You know, we can compare it to peace. We can have that peace. Why? Because we know that Jesus has done it all. And so we put our, we put our trust, we put our confidence in him. Grace is everything God did for us before we ever existed. Think about that. Grace is everything that God did for us before we ever existed. It wasn't after I was born, all of a sudden God began to work out my salvation. My salvation was worked out before I ever existed, before I was even a thought, before my grandparents, my great-grandparents, my great-great-grandparents, and going all the way back to Noah. Before any of them were around, God had already planned out my salvation. The Bible says that, um, that Jesus was crucified, and this is talked about in the mind of God. He was crucified before the foundation of the world. And so in the mind of God, salvation was settled for all men before creation. You know, God didn't make man fall. You all realize that, right? Man had a free choice. Man chose to fall. But an all-knowing God knew that man was going to fall. And so it, before man even fell before he ever sinned, God already had the plan, the means of salvation planned out. You know, there, yes, Jesus had to come. Jesus had to die. Jesus had to be buried in the tomb. Jesus had to be raised from the dead for our justification. Jesus ascended on high. All of that had to be done, but in the mind of God, that was already done. And that's how grace is. 
There may be things that we're struggling with our, with, within our lives, but grace says it's already done. That's God's part. Grace says, even though, you know, I still have an irritation in my shoulder, grace says that by the stripes of Jesus, I've been healed from the foundation of the world. So, you know, whatever my shoulder tells me really doesn't count because grace says that I'm already healed. You know, every area of our life, that's how grace functions. That, that's how grace works. Um, through his favor, salvation, healing, and deliverance are available to everyone. The reason I read that was because I wanted to emphasize the last word, everyone. That healing, deliverance, sal uh, um, salvation, it's, it's available to everybody. So that grace has been made available to everybody. The problem is, is there's those that choose not to receive it. We read this passage last week from, I think we did, from Titus 2.11. It says, for, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That grace has appeared. That grace is available to all men. The most horrendous sinner you could ever find. Grace has been made available to them for salvation if they would but, re, but re, receive it. But you know, the problem is, is man won't receive it. You know, I heard just a blip from um, um, what's Billy's grandson's name? Franklin. Franklin this morning. And then he was talking about Australia because He's wanting to start going back and holding crusades in all the um, major cities and so forth that his dad did, uh, held crusades. And so he's talking about Australia. He's talking about Australia from the standpoint that um, the, the, the number of individuals that attend church on a regular basis has totally uh, deteriorated, gone down. It's uh, equivalent to the numbers in, in Europe right now. Because in Europe, you know, church attendance is, is zippel. You know, but I was like, you know, I guess it was I, I met with Dave Rao yesterday. We, he and I were talking about this, you know, that <clears throat> we are now in the third generation of families that once, that once went to church that are no longer attending church on a regular basis. And, you know, we were talking about how it's interesting, you know, because you, you find a lot of people that grew up in church and then they leave church, but then when they have kids, they go back to church because they know that's important for their kids. But the problem is, is now we're in the third generation and within that third generation, they didn't take their kids back to church. And so now we have a generation of folks, and I'm talking about the United States now, I'm not talking about Australia. We're in, we're in the third generation of folk that once went to church that have gotten away from church that their, their children um, see absolutely no need for church in their life. Well, and part of that 
goes back to the fact that we haven't taught what Jesus has really made available to you because if, if we know, any individual that knows what Jesus has made available to them and they don't want to go to church so they can hear about that and grow about that and be established in that, um, they're just plain stupid. You know, but if we, we have an understanding of that, of course we want to come in and we want to receive because we recognize that that's where our victory lies. But see, the point I want you to see is, you know, people get into the pity kick as to why doesn't God, you know, take care of me? Why doesn't God do this for me? It's because they've walked away from it. Now, the exciting thing is, is all they have to do is walk back. All they have to do is turn around and say, here I am, Jesus. Um, I'm ready for your grace. And then we find out what he's made available to us and we receive it and we enter into that abundant life. We don't make abundant life. None of us do. You know, Dave and I yesterday were talking about how, you know, just how blessed we feel, you know, because um, we remember Dave Rao when we first came to Jefferson and, and we'd, we'd go over one night a week or once a, wasn't it once a week or was it once a month? I think it was once a week. We'd go over to Manning and do a Bible study with a bunch of people from over there and Dave and Sue Rao came to that. They were, they were already born again and excited about the things of God, but they would come to that Bible study. And, and so, you know, he eventually sold his business and moved to Tulsa and went to Raymond, went to Australia for a few years and then came back and started the church in Manny and then in Denison and, and so forth. And we're just talking about how, how blessed we are. You know, and, uh, you know, sometimes you think about it and you feel like, you know, life really isn't fair because it really isn't fair that we're so blessed. But we're blessed because we recognize what Jesus has done for us and by faith we receive the grace that's available to every man, woman, and child that has ever and ever will walk on the face of the earth. And so what it boils down to is we're without excuse. We can use all the arguments we want but we're without excuse because Jesus has done it all for us. He's made it available to us. And so when we realize these truths, when we realize what God's part is, that it's grace, and we realize that our part is faith, and we begin to operate in faith, and we begin to you know, call those things that be not as though they were, and, and, and the different principles that we are aware of in, in the practice of faith, um, that's when we enter into the race, or excuse me, into the rest, because we know that it's done. Hebrews 4.11 says, let us therefore, notice it says be diligent. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fail according to the same example of disobedience. What's the disobedience? To try to do it in our own strength. And so the labor that we labor in is to enter into the rest. You know, because uh, what's natural for the majority of us is we want to do something. <laughs> you know, I can remember people coming to me and they say, Pastor, we just, we just want to get it. Just what are, the, what are the steps? What do I need to do? 
Well, here's the steps. Here's what you need to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and have trust and confidence that he's going to do exactly what he says in his word. You know, to me, uh, you know, I use the term faith all the time. But when I think of faith more than ever, I think of trust. You know, how, to me, to have faith in God is I trust him. To have faith in Jesus, I trust him. I trust that when he says in his word, by the stripes of Jesus, I've been healed. I trust that. I have confidence in that. And when I trust that and I have confidence in that, I can rest in that. I no longer have to struggle with that. But that's where the struggle comes in. The struggle isn't to enter into the rest. The struggle is to not labor. And so he says, be diligent to enter into that rest. In other words, guard yourself that you don't get into your, your own um, self-works and trying to do it in your own strength and in your own abilities. Second uh, Peter 1.3 As his divine power, whose power? His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Has given. Has given to us. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm distracted right now. Are you wearing a Minnesota sweatshirt? Oh, gee. I was just really excited. I thought somebody was, had good taste. Is it Tennessee? <laughs> well, excuse me, excuse me. <clears throat> but I, I just thought somebody was really sensitive to the Holy Ghost tonight. But of course, I was wrong once again. So I got a little bit of Minnesota on the mind these days. As a divine power has given to us all things. It's, he's given. It's through his power that it's been given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge. Do you realize you can't appropriate something in your life that you're not aware of belongs to you? You know, that's why I went to church for 24 years and didn't get born again because they didn't tell me you must be born again. I didn't have the knowledge. They had told me things, you know, you need to go to church, you need to go to confirmation, you need to do this, you need to do the other thing. They just never told me you need to be born again. And so without the knowledge of it, we can get caught up in all sorts of things which are not in line with where God wants to take us. And so once again, that's why the Word of God is so important to us. Because it's through His knowledge that we receive the knowledge. It's through His Word that we receive the knowledge so that we can be aware of and confident in what He's truly done for us. In Romans 4.16, and this is out of the Amplified, it says, Therefore, inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith. Inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith. What's the outcome of faith? Inheriting the promise. The outcome of faith is inheriting the promise, recognizing what Jesus has done for us is the outcome of faith 
and, and depends entirely on faith in order that it might be given as an act of grace, unmerited favor, to make a stable and valid and guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the devotee and inheritance of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, who is this, the father of us all. And so the promise has been made of, available to us, not, not only to um, the Jew, you know, but to all the children of Abraham, the inheritance of Abraham. Er, er, Abraham uh, did not receive his position of righteousness through the law because he was some 430 years before the law that Abraham was reckoned and considered righteous. How did Abraham... How is Abraham reckoned considered righteous? Well, they didn't use that term back there, but it was by grace. Because he did absolutely nothing to earn it and deserve it. And so that's why when we receive the blessings of Abraham, we're, we're entering in the grace that was available to Abraham. You know, why was the law given? The law was given to us for a season. What was the season? The season was until the seed the seed was Jesus. I don't know if you realize it or not. Jesus, the seed, has come. And we've been born again in and through him. And so what happened then is now we're, we're now once again operating in that covenant of Abraham or that covenant of grace, which is an extension of Abraham, which is the new covenant. And so it's no longer based upon me it's all about Jesus. You know, that's, that's what I, that's where I think we, we miss it. You know, because when you're talking about the law or works or any of that, the emphasis is always on you. It's always on me. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do the other thing. It's the, as we said on Sunday, the uh, thou shalts. But now we're in the I wills. I will, God said. And that's where we're at now. It's based on what he will or what he has done. And that's what this scripture is talking about. Therefore, inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith. What do we do? Inherit the promise. Depends entirely on faith in order that it might be given as an act of grace. So we do, we do nothing to earn it and deserve it. That was part of my conversation with Dave yesterday again. We were talking about, you know, uh, you know I said, I don't, I, don't, I don't want what I've earned. <laughs> I want grace. I, I, I literally do not want what I deserve because that would be damnation. I don't want that. I want grace. I want what Jesus the I will. I want what he did for me and what he did for each and every one of us. So inheriting the promise is an outward act of our actions. And so faith doesn't mean that we don't ever do anything. Because faith is believing and believing is an action. That's, that's the works of faith. The works of faith are 
recognizing and acknowledging what, what Jesus has done for us. And then we are willing to cooperate with him. Philemon 1.6 says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. By the acknowledgement. <clears throat> you know, I, I don't... <laughs> you know, it's funny, you know, because I start talking about you know, that Saturday morning in the basement of Vernon Lewis' house with me and three other guys sitting in front of the fireplace where I received Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior and my life has never been the same. That passage had an impact in my life that caused me to begin to speak that out more often. Why? Because it says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by acknowledging every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. I'll tell you what the good thing is in me, is Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that took up residence, that made their abode on the inside of me. That's the good thing that is within me. And so, why do we share that? Well, people don't want to hear it anymore. Well, you know what? Everything isn't about you. I need to hear it. You know, and so sometimes you talk, you share your testimony, you share what Jesus has done in your life, not just simply for that individual that you're talking to, you're doing it for yourself. Because every time we share it, it's a confirmation, it's, it's a building up in our faith of what Jesus has truly done for us. And so <clears throat> I believe as the day approaches, I believe that we're not supposed to share our testimony and share what Jesus has done in our life less. I believe we're supposed to do it more and more. You know, <clears throat> there's individuals that I know that have had tremendous miracles in their life. But you know what? They have no remembrance of it and you, unless you speak to them about the remembrance of it. Let me tell you something. If God's healed you miraculously, I would talk about it every single day of my life because every single day of your life, you're being built up in faith when you talk about what Jesus has done on the inside of you, what, what he's done for you. But you know what? I see people, God does a miraculous thing about it to them and they don't even think about it until somebody says something to them about, oh yeah, God did that to me. God did that for me. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It's no real, more real to them than it is to me. But you know what? When, when God moves in your life and you begin to talk about it on a regular basis, <clears throat> you ever notice? Or maybe I shouldn't say this. The more you, the more you share a story, the bigger it gets. Ever, ever, ever notice that? You know, because, you know, if fish this big is good, a fish that big is even better, you know. So the, the story just gets a little big. But, you know, <clears throat> that's, that's not that we have to exaggerate. But, you know, the more you share what Jesus has done in your life, the bigger it gets. The bigger that, that Jesus on the inside of you gets. And you know what? He needs to be big. 
He needs to be big on the inside of you because, you know, you may not be there now, but every one of us at some point in time, we're going to encounter crisis where we need a big God on our side. And you know what? That's not the time to get him big. You know, the hardest time to get a hold of healing is when you need healing. The hardest time to get a hold of prosperity is when your bank account is in the red. That's just how it is. So when's the best time to do it? Get a hold of healing when you don't need healed. That way you can stay healed. Get a hold of prosperity when things are going well. So that when the attack comes, you can say, no, 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 no. That's not me. I have the blessings of God in my life. And I don't care what that says. This is what the Bible says. And I'm going to stand on that. And then we're like David. I killed the lion. I killed the bear. What is this uncircumcised Philistine to me? But you know, that didn't just happen that day. Obviously, David had rehearsed that over and over and over again. Not the words that he said, but the events that took place in his life. How God provided for him. And you know what? He wants to do the same thing in our lives. But we need to recognize how big it is. And see, that's, what, that's where our faith comes in. It's by grace what he's done for us. It's grace that does it. But that's the working it out in faith. It's, it's acknowledging, recognizing, declaring, proclaiming what Jesus has done in my life. And as I do that, my faith gets bigger and my faith gets stronger. Not that I have more faith, but it gets stronger. And we need to be strong in faith. Romans 12, 2, it says, Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. You know, I've got the definition of hope in your, in your notes. It says, hope is an earnest expectation. Hope, Bible hope isn't a wishing and a hoping. Well, we're just a wishing and a hoping. That's what a lot of people are saying when they're saying, I hope. Well, I hope so. Well, God's going to take it. Well, I hope so. They're a wishing and a hoping. But we have hope. And that hope is an earnest expectation. I'm not a wishing and a hoping that if I need healing in my body that it's going to come. I have an earnest expectation that it's going to manifest. May not be this very minute, but you know what? It's going to it's going to show up. There needs to be an expectation in our life. And it's an earnest expectation because then we looked and it said, um, for, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Well, what's the glory of God? The glory of God is a result of faith. How is God glorified in the earth? Well, I, I know that, you know, in worship, we bring him glory. But how is God glorified? He's glorified through our lives as His grace has an expression of manifestation. God is glorified when you experience healing in your life. God is glorified 
as your needs are being met and you can give to others and express it to others. God is glorified when we share the gospel with somebody and they come to know Jesus in a personal, intimate way. That's, that's where God is bringing glorified. We could say it's, it's an answer to prayer. But really, for us, answer to prayer is, is the appropriation or the manifestation of his grace in our lives because it's already been done. It's already been taken care of. And that's why, you know, if you've been listening to Creflot all this week, he's been talking about um, some things similar to this. And he is talking about how, you know, our prayer life as a, I think he's making a comparison uh, before and after the cross, kind of what I taught on Sunday. But he, he said our prayer life uh, totally changes because it's, it's no longer based on saying, oh God, give me, give me, give me. But it's based on thank you, Lord, that you've provided for this, that this belongs to me. I may not see it manifest in my life yet, but by your grace, and I receive it by faith, I have an earnest expectation because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, you've heard me say this before. People come in and they say, well, pastor, I just, I just believe I need more faith. And you share with them for a while and I realize they don't need more faith. They need hope. Because faith has nothing to give substance to. And so hope that faith is able to give substance to is when we have an earnest expectation. That when we read through the Bible, we see something in the Bible, we see a promise in the Bible and we say, whoa, that belongs to me. That's part of my inheritance. And when we see that, what happens? There's, a, there's an expectation. Well, if that is part of my inheritance, if that belongs to me, then I ought to have that in manifestation in my life, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And so there needs to be that earnest expectation. And what's it going to produce? It's going to, bring, it's going to produce glory to God. It's going to give Him the glory. And that's what we ultimately want here on earth, right? That's why we're here. We're here to bring him glory. We're not here to bring man glory, although many people think that that's their purpose in being is for all of us to give him glory. But that's not it. It's, it's he. It's Jesus. It's God, the Father. We're here to bring him glory. We need faith in God's grace to see manifestation of his glory in our lives. Hebrews 10, 35 and 36. It says, therefore, do not be, do not cast away your confidence. What does that mean? You know, a lot of times if we don't see um, the, the manifestation, what we consider to be the, the answer to our prayer, if we don't see it on a uh, particular schedule, we cast it aside. We say, well, I guess it's never going to happen. Guess it's, I guess it's not for me. He says, don't, don't, cast, don't cast away your confidence, no matter how long it takes. Don't, don't cast away your confidence. It's like the individual that asked Jerry Seville one time, you know, how long do I have to stand in faith? He said, probably just a little bit longer than you think you should. Don't cast it away. You know, that's why it says in Ephesians, when you've done all to stand, 
stand there for. When you've done everything you know to do, you just continue to stand on the promise that he's given you in the word. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which, is, has, which has great reward. <laughs> Don't you like that? I like that. I mean, not just reward. It says great reward. When? If we don't cast away our confidence. If we continue to stand in faith. For you have been, you have need, <clears throat> you have need of endurance. He's telling us something here. We need endurance. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And so what is, what is our life about? It's doing the will of God. Why? So that we receive the promise. But in order for that to take place, we have to endure. That means when, when everybody else around us is trying to take the easy way out and everybody else around us is giving up and saying, ah, this faith stuff doesn't work, this grace is radical, you know, it, you know we, we, we continue to stand. You see, I know this stuff works. Maybe I shouldn't call it stuff, but I will. I know this stuff works because it's based on the Word of God. And not just simply because it's based on the, well, that's the primary thing, it's based on the Word of God, but I've seen it work in my life. And so if there's a need, I'm going to endure. Why are you going to endure? Because I've seen the option. The option to endure and in faith is defeat and destruction. And I don't want that. I'm going to continue to endure. You know, Pastor Becky and I, we are going to hang out till the end. Amen. But you know what? I hope every individual in this room says the same thing. I'm, there, there's, no, there's no quit in me. I'm going to hang out till the end, even when things look Look horrible around me. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay strong. I'm going I'm to stand. When everybody's falling by the wayside, there may be 10,000 that fall at one side and 1,000 on the other. But as for me and my house, we're going to keep pledging forward. We're going to move forward because we're going to endure. We're going to experience the fullness of what he's made available to us. And so what we see then is this this faith and confidence, they work hand in hand with one another because it's this confidence that empowers you to endure. You know, if you don't, you, you, uh, an individual can start out in something in faith, but if, but as, if you don't have confidence, eventually what'll happen is it'll, it'll peter out and you'll give up and you'll, and you'll quit. But we don't quit. We don't peter out. We don't give up. You know, I, I think a perfect example of this is Peter when Jesus comes walking to him on the water and they're all full of fear and everything. And, and Peter recognizes it's Jesus and he says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And he says, come. It's all Jesus said. Come. It was enough of the word to walk on. And he gets out of the boat and he starts walking on the water. But what happened? He stopped looking at the promise. He stopped enduring. And he began to look at the waves. He began to 
Look at the wind. I don't know how you see the wind, but he saw the wind. He began to look at the circumstances around him. And what happened? Because he gave that more attention than the promise, he ceased to endure. He began to sink. Now, thank God, all he had to do was say, Jesus. And Jesus reached out and grabbed him by the hand. They went back to the boat together. And so he's not going to let you sink. But you know what? <clears throat> Peter didn't have to start to think, sink. Didn't have to. I mean, he, he walked on the water. I, I don't know if that programs with us. The dude walked on water <laughs> in the middle of the sea. Let me tell you, it was too deep for the rocks. He walked on water. And that same promise is for us. And, and we're walking through the tests and the trials, but if we get distracted by everything that goes on around us and we, we stop enduring or in, in the promise and focusing on the promise and the word, what happens? We, we start to sink. I'm not saying we get lost. I'm just saying we start to sink. But we don't even have to go there. We can grab him and we can hold on to him and we can endure and experience all that he has for us. And so we need to um, continue on. In Job 22, 28 says, You will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. I mean, even Job and the Old Covenant realized, you'll, you declare a thing. <clears throat> you know, we, we need to declare some things. We need to declare some things according to the Word of God. We need to declare I'll live and not die. I need to declare that I'm going to walk in the healing of God. I'm going to, we need to declare that uh, um, we're going to experience the abundance that he's made available to us. We also need to declare that I'm not going to yield to those temptations that come my way any longer. I'm not going to give in to that, that sin that so easily besets me that wants to take me down. We need to declare some things. Uh, and... Uh, and it says that it'll be established in our life. But you know, it, it, it comes back to the confession message. There are a lot of people that, that struggled, that had a hard time with the, the confession message because they said, well, I can't lie. You know, say I'm not sick when I'm sick, that would be a lie. And I can't lie. Well, they don't understand confession. You're not saying you're not sick. You're declaring what the Word says about you, the Word says about you is that by the stripes of Jesus you've been healed. And so you're declaring a thing that's being established in your life. And then we see the manifestation of it. You know, I heard Brother Hagen, or no, it was Brother Copeland say this one time. He says, you know, positive confession isn't going around saying, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick when you're sick. He says, positive confession is going around saying, by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. By the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. It's calling those things that be not as though they were. It's not calling that which be as though it be not. And so we be healed by the stripes of Jesus. And that's what we declare. That's what we proclaim. In Ephesians 6, 16, it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which we will we will be able to quench all the fiery 
darts of the wicked one. All the fiery darts. You know, it's an interesting thing. The darts come, but they're not going to affect us. The attack comes against us, but they're not going to affect us. They're not going to defeat us. You know, I, when I first got a hold of the Word of Faith message, I thought it meant I'd never have any problems anymore. <clears throat> then I realized, uh, if that's the case, I got a problem. <laughs> but then I realized, it isn't that I don't have any problems, it's, it's that I have all the tools that I need to deal with every problem that comes against me in life. All the fiery darts, the attacks may come our way. But you know what? We don't have to allow them to penetrate us. That's what we have the shield of faith for. We take our faith and know that is not going to touch me. That's not going to touch my household. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And our testimony is that Jesus is Lord. And that, that attack has no might. It has no strength in my life. But you know, then we, we can, we can kind of get caught up in the works thing again. But then in Psalms 46, it says, be still and know that I am Lord. And I think a lot of times we lose, we lose sight of that. We get, we get so busy that we lose sight that he's Lord. And at some point, we have to, we have to just sit back and say, oh, I'm so thankful that you're Lord. You're Lord of my life. And as Lord of my life, you're Lord over this sickness that tries to come against me. You're Lord of this lack that tries against come against me. You're Lord of this bondage that tries to come against me. You're Lord over these things that have been said about me. Those darts, they don't penetrate me because I'm the redeemed of the Lord and I declare it to be so. And so we need to have that confidence, but be still. See, the important thing there is to know that I am God. And sometimes we get, we get so busy doing it in our own strength and ability, we may not say it with our mouth, but we see ourselves as the God. We see that we're the ones that are going to perform it. We see that we're the ones that are going to make it happen rather than recognize, Lord, you are God. And so I'm going to rest in you and I'm going to do what you show me to do and go where you show me to go. I'm going to, I'm going to be obedient to those things, but you're God. And so therefore I'm going to follow your leading. I'm not going to do it in my own strength. You know, last week we talked about 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter in the uh, Shunammite woman and how uh, when her son um, basically had died and she would be asked, how are things? And she said, all is well. Why? Because she was, she was determined to endure. And of course, that was before what we have today with the promises and so forth. So what was her source? Her source was the prophet. And so she endured. She wouldn't say anything negative. And she went to the prophet. And she didn't even tell the prophet. She just said, why did you make this promise and blah, blah, blah. And he went and, and the child was raised up. But she endured. She wouldn't, she wouldn't be distracted by anybody. 
Her husband says, what are, you, what are you taking the donkey for? You know, it isn't even the Sabbath. Why are you going to see the prophet? And the servant comes and meets her. Why are you, why are you coming? All is well. You know, she knew her, her goal. She knew where she was heading and she endured until she got what she was expecting. That's where we need to be. We need to endure. We need to be persistent. We need to shut out the other voices. Because there's all these voices wanting to, want to, want to steal our faith, to get our focused on the wrong thing. And there comes a point where you've got to be still. You've got to get in a quiet place. And you've got to shut all those other voices out. And you hear only one voice. You hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he speaks to your heart and he speaks to you through the word. And you listen to that voice. In Ephesians 5, or excuse me, in Ephesians 2, verse 5. It says, even when you are dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you've been saved. Aren't you glad that he didn't have to clean you up before he could save you? While we were yet sinners, while we're in the depth of of our trespasses, while we were a mess, Jesus died for us. And then he made grace available that we might be saved. Verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so he gets all the credit for it because he's the one that has done it all. You know, so if we if we take this out of context, we can look at it and we can say, well, you see, we're saved by grace. It's all grace. You know, we, we, don't, we don't have to do anything. When, when we lived in Ankeny, um, the church that we were part of, they had a, an evangelistic program and, and it was, um, forget the name of it right now, ex, ex, um, evangelism. evangelism Explosion. And, you know, so it was a, I thought it was a great program. You know, for me it was great because I had never been a part of anything that did uh, evangelistic work and so forth. And so you'd have to, you know, memorize your testimony and then you'd begin to insert scripture in it and so forth. And, and the key to it were two questions. Uh, the question number one was, if you died tonight, do you have confidence or do you have assurance that you would spend eternity in heaven? And, you know, most people would answer, well, yeah, I'm, I think so. I, I've, been a, I've been a pretty good person. I think so. And then the second question was, if you were to die tonight, and if you were to stand before God and God would ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would your answer be? And they'd say, well, you know, because, you know, you know, growing up in the environment that I grew up in, I would have said, uh, because of Jesus and because I lived a pretty good life. Well, it's Christ alone. And so anytime we add to Jesus, we, we're, we're, we're disqualifying ourselves because we're saying we only partly trust him. The other part is putting my trust in me and what I've done. And so we had this, we had this big controversy because 
we gave people an opportunity to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so taking that out of context, the individual that was disputing it would say, you can't do anything to be saved. It's all by grace. And so we finally satisfied him by you're no longer rejecting, you, you stop rejecting Jesus. That was what would satisfy him. Well, the scripture says that you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. And the scripture doesn't just say that it's by grace alone. It's for by grace through faith. Faith is an action word. Faith simply means that I appropriate, I receive, I accept what Jesus has done for me. But you know what? Every, every aspect, every element of, of Christianity, of grace, of salvation is the same way. I receive healing, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. I have the peace of God in my life, not because I've worked up peace. I have peace in my life because Jesus gave me peace. For by grace, I've been saved through faith. By grace, peace was made available, made available to me and I receive it by faith. And so even when I don't feel very peaceful, you know what? I can have peace because it isn't about what I feel. It's about what I know. And what I know is that Jesus paid the price so that I might have peace. Galatians 2.21, it says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If I base my righteousness on my actions, then I've set aside grace. I'm no longer relying upon grace. I'm relying upon me. Paul said, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If we can do it ourselves, then Jesus didn't need to come. I needed Jesus. I, I couldn't gain, I couldn't earn righteousness within myself. I needed a Savior. I needed one who grace made it available to me. Galatians 5.4 You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. You know, it's interesting. I used to be taught that to fall from grace meant that I fell into sin. You know what this says? This says to fall from grace is when I try to do it myself. I no longer depend upon Jesus. It's not when we fall into sin because if we sin, that doesn't mean that we've fallen from grace. That means we need to trust in grace. We need to turn from him. It has nothing to do with grace. It means that I've gotten off into my own flesh again. 
But what I need to do, I need to get back and I need to put my trust and I need to put my confidence in him. 1 Corinthians 14.2. I'm just reading the scriptures now because we're running out of time. For he who speaks in tongues does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Do you realize that tongues is a grace? It's a grace that's been given to us for us to appropriate, for us to enter into the supernatural. Now I was going to go into more depth into that tonight, but that's enough. You just, you just need to know that it's a grace. And so if, if you've not had um, the manifestation of your tongues in your life yet, you've asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you've not yet prayed in tongues, you don't have to try to. You need to just rest and say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, because I'm your child. And tongues is available to me. It's one of those graces. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pray in tongues. And you will. Just endure. <laughs> but you will. But you know what? I, I tried to work it out. I remember when I first got the baptism or prayed for it, I thought I had to do something. But I, I finally realized, no, it's not me doing it. It's See, doing it through me. If I'm doing it, then it's not supernatural. Amen? Now, I can cooperate with the supernatural. But if I'm just simply doing it, then I'm doing it. But when I cooperate with him, the supernatural is going to kick in. And it'll, it'll seem like it's in the natural. Because, you know, like, You know, I can, I can pray in tongues anytime I want to. It's just like it's... The supernatural has become natural for me. But it's supernatural. And that's how it needs to be in each of our lives. Psalms 27, 13. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I would have lost heart if I didn't think that I was going to see God. We're going to see God. You'd lose heart if you thought that you weren't going to see the manifestation of the promise in your life. But don't lose heart. Keep your, your expectors up there. Keep believing. And uh, he's going to fulfill it. Hebrews 2.1 Therefore, we must give a more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. But what do we give heed to? What we've heard. The promises. What we've read. The graces. Why do we have to give greater heed to them? Because if we don't, we'll drift away. It goes back to what I said about our testimony. What's happened to a lot of people that have experienced miraculous miracles in their life? They've drifted away. You know, I think about the early days of the charismatic renewal here in Jefferson. We'd have these Bible studies and the number of people that would show up at these Bible studies. We'd, we'd pack living rooms out. I mean, we would... We would We'd have chairs all the way around the room and then we'd have people sitting in front of the chairs all the way around. We were younger than we were able to bend over that far. You know, <clears throat> but we'd have a whole ring around there. Then we'd have people sitting literally in the middle of the room. I mean, we were really cool. I mean, if you wanted to lay down on the floor, you just laid on the floor. But the room was full. But I look at it today and there's so many of those people. Where are they today? 
I'm not saying they're not saved, but they've drifted away. Why? Because they've lost sight of the miraculous. They've lost sight of what God has done in their life. And I don't know about you, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want to drift away. I don't want the things of God to become insignificant in my life. I want the experiences that I've had in my life fresh and new. You know, <clears throat> you know I'm moving out of my office and so I'm starting to put stuff away and I'm, I'm going through and looking at stuff that I've brought from all over the world and, and the memories that go along with that. And, you know, they're probably going to be stuck in a box someplace. But you know what? Periodically, I'm going to go and I'm going to pull them out and I'm going to look at them. Why? Because it reminds me of an event that took place in my life. You know, we, Becky was making fun of one of my, my uh, carvings that I had because it's this, uh, um, it's, it's this antelope or something. It's got a calf nursing off of it. And, you know, just what everybody would want in their living room. And, uh, but it was, was given to me when I was in Ghana when Omega was uh, working in the ministry there and going to school. And, and I, I can see those faces of those, and I'm going to quit right now and we're just going to close because I'm done. Because if I don't, I'm going to get wimpy and I'm not going to do, do that tonight. So praise the Lord, we're done. So good night. In the name of Jesus, amen. Be blessed. But you need to have those markers in your life that you go back to, that, that you can touch, that you can look to, because that's what keeps us from drifting.